0: No, but my, 1980. Uh, my dad uh, in in beginning of the year uh, was was an unbeliever. Uh, we had um, I think I'd gone to church twice. I think I was six years old in 1980, and my, we had um, <clears throat> and I turned seven that year, and so we've been to church twice. I, I literally remember the very first time I ever went to a church. I'm like, what is this? Right? It was weird, and and so my dad not a believer, and 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 and, and so in 1980. Uh, he got saved uh, he gave his life to Jesus. I literally, have, for those of you know, I've told the story before. I remember uh, walking into uh, the spare bedroom while he was kneeling down beside the bed in the middle of the afternoon. How weird is that to see your dad, who's six foot four and larger than life, kneeling beside a foreign bed that makes absolutely no sense, right? And 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 my dad went from being a guy who my mom years later told me I was just I was weeks away from divorcing him. To all of a sudden having this like passionate love for Jesus. And my dad went from being someone who I, who, who like, I, my dad, my dad loved me, but my dad went from being one guy to literally being completely, some, completely someone different like the, the 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 it was like they talk about in those radical conversions you've heard those stories right and and that was my family my dad had one of those like he was living this life and then he lived this life and that was the first year my dad if you ever went through Hembry hills neighborhood my dad that christmas Said, God's telling me to write the true meaning of Christmas in, on this massive, like, like, seven by ten board, and so he wrote John 3.16 and said, the real meaning of Christmas, we stuck it in our front yard, right? It's like, who is this guy? I mean, and he was like passionate about fishing, like, when I say passion, like, he would, he would he would think about and talk about and, and fish all every week, right? And I remember he stood before our church one Sunday morning, several years later, and said, God's telling me fishing's an idol, and I'm giving it up. And I'm like, who is this guy? And don't do that, Dad. It's a bad idea, right? But it was like one of these things where it's like my dad had this radical, I mean radical, and literally my, my mom talked about it, I mean, who experiences it more than your spouse, right? He, she just went. He just went from being this guy who I was willing, ready to divorce, this guy that I loved, and I was like, "That's just amazing, right?" And so my dad then walked with Christ and had a great, great life experience. We became part of this church, and and then like so many people in life, my dad got burned by the church. Like, there was like, here's a radical conversion, life and love with Jesus, and this experience happened in the church of maybe some level of, um, Kind of a, a spiritual elitism. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that in church. Spiritual, the spiritual elites, right? And, and people who were experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit specifically. And, and my dad was kind of on the fence with some of these things. And, and, and then, and then all of a sudden we got, literally kicked out of the denomination that we were a part of because we didn't have the same stance and and that, that that was like kind of wounding for my dad and and then in the midst of that then there became a church split in the middle of all of that. Right. And and my and, and we had to choose sides. And, you know, and in that moment, there's just and there's these kind of the haves and the have nots over here. Right. In the context of the church. And, and so my dad experienced this. And there was this incredible disillusionment and to the point where my dad just still he would say, yeah, I love Jesus. But I, he didn't go to church for like six years. That happened the, the end of my junior year of high school. And and I'll never forget like being in college and this is another story. But I remember God just one night at the Wesley Foundation at Georgia, just convicting me of 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 where my family was. And so I, at a, at 10:30 p.m., I called my dad and said, "Are you awake? I'm coming home. We're gonna talk." So I got in the car and drove home, and I sat in my living room, and I rebuked the hell out of him. Literally, and I'll use that as a cuss word. I mean, I literally rebuked the hell out of my dad. And I remember... I mean, I was, I mean, he was still six foot four guys. I mean, it's like, I was all five foot 10 to 135 pounds of me. Right. And I remember speaking this, the word, like what I thought was the word of the Lord. And it was in the moment and I getting done, I went, Oh crap. I mean, I was like, what's he going to do? Right. And, and, and in that moment, I literally just had this, this moment. And my dad just looked at me and, and, and he didn't know what to say. And so I, Gave them hugs and drove back to Athens, you know, and I got home and the next day I next day my dad calls me and he just said, What do I do? What do I do? What do I do to go after Jesus again? What do I do to find this restoration? What do I do? And we had this long conversation and like six months later he goes to some place called Brownsville, down in Pensacola, Florida. And it was, but that wasn't like that. That was like this icing on the cake because the shifting had taken in the six months where, where he had been not been hungry, he became hungry again. Where, where he had been disillusioned, right? Where, where this really kind of a spiritual abuse, kind of spiritual, just like this spiritual heaviness, this spiritual weight, this spiritual stuff that had uh, that it really kind of just. Tainted his view of church and the body of Christ and specifically revolved around the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically revolved around denominations and specifically revolved around all this stuff in church and people in church and and people like talking in church. Right. He just pulled away. And God, in that six months, and just using this experience in this church where God was really moving in Pensacola, Florida, right, just used that moment to solidify this work, and he's been running with Jesus ever since. This morning, we're going to dive into Paul's message in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go into 13 and 14 in the upcoming weeks. And if you know First Corinthians, you know, this is the section that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so something like, "Oh my gosh, I'm glad we finally got there, right? This, this is the only thing I've ever read of First Corinthians. No. But like, you just love these chapters. And, and what I want to recognize this morning is that this is really important. First Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 were not written just so Paul could talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how you need to function in them. He's writing the chapter because of people like my dad, who were spiritually abused, spiritual elitism, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were literally used to have the haves and the have nots. And there were people who were probably because it was human nature. When you get burned and abused, you want to pull away. And these three chapters were written for that very purpose to deal with those like my dad dealing with people like you can name right now, maybe including you. Because. He recognized in looking at the church at Corinth that there were people who literally were saying things like, we are more spiritual and better Christians than all of you. People are saying like, oh, we're spirit filled. Oh, and you're not. We're people of the spirit. You're not. Because those are just and he's looking at that That's spiritual abuse. There's no place for that language in the church. And so he's coming and he's challenging them. In this context of their understanding of what it means to be spiritual. And so what I want to do as we launch in this morning, I want to remind us of the last three weeks we've been talking about... We've been talking about the nature of God's love and faithfulness, and and we don't talk about it in some hokey way. We talk about it in the context where I've been convicted the last three weeks of like, God, we have to create a lens of your love and your faithfulness, literally defining everything that I'm looking at in life, the hardships of life, the difficulties of life, God, your Looking at all of my relationships, my relationship with my spouse, with my children, with my neighbors, right? Literally defining, literally by your love and your faithfulness, defining as the lens through which I view everything. So I'm looking at this, but right here is the lens of God's love and faithfulness that's defining every single relationship I'm in. And so I've been so convicted the last few weeks, literally God, as I go to pray... I ask myself, is God's love and faithfulness defining everything I'm praying about? Do I come in with a cup half, excuse me, with a cup full of understanding of who God is? Remember that scripture I read a few weeks ago? It says, where the guy came and says, My son is, throwing him, is being cast into the fire by the demons. If you can, Jesus, would you do something? And Jesus says, If I can, are you Oh." All things, brother, are possible for those who believe, who live, I'm creating my own words here, who create, who live in the lens of my love and faithfulness. I am faithful in all places, in all situations, at all times, if I can. Oh, that breaks him. But I recognize that so many of us, we don't live in this place of God's faithfulness and love defining everything. We read and we pray. We go into situations and we think, oh, that's probably going to work out. I'm just not sure God can. And so we live in this place. And so last week, we looked at First Corinthians chapter 10, and we said, Paul comes, remember he names all this, the, the primary sins that were affecting Cor- Corinth. The Corinthian Church, and then he connects it to the sins of the Israelites and the Exodus. It says, "Hey, remember how we've you've been telling stories for hundreds and thousands of years about how how sinful these people are over here, and you know it. Your sin is equivalent to it." And so we said we can read it in the context and say, man, sin is so bad, and it is, right? And so we read it, and what I find is that so many people, they, they read First Corinthians 10. We said last week that they, lend, they, 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 they read it through the lens of the power of sin. And they go, oh my gosh, I can completely identify with all of these things. Oh my sin! So we've talked about the Christians who live with the, the the lens of sin management. I just hope I don't sin today. Oh God, I just want to be obedient. At the end of the day, God, I'm sure I know I sinned today. I'm so terrible. Would you just forgive me of all those sins I know of and the ones I don't even know of? God, I just want to be in a right relationship because my sin is so bad. And we have a oh and God awareness of God's power over sin we do this sin awareness at the cross. And we said the nature, if you could read through at the end of first Corinthians 10, as Paul says, guys, no sin has overtaken us, that which is common to man and where it comes, God will provide a way out. Why? Verse 13, because God is faithful. As we said last week in this context of sin management versus the power of God, we go power of God over sin through the cross and now it's empty because he defeated it. But be aware of sin. And so this nature says that this, this God lens, this God consciousness, this God being faithful and kind and powerful and loving must overwhelm this be the defining lens through which we view everything in life, including sin. And so this nature then, as we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter twelve, is that God is faithful, God is kind, God is loving, and God will right. Wrongs. He will correct the wrong direction a ship is going. He takes the tiller and says, no, we're going this way because I love you. Yes, God. Thank you that you're so faithful. I knew I was going the wrong direction. North Star couldn't even find it, right? Thank you. That's what he does. He is faithful. He is kind. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is moving. He's saying, be the lens. Let me be the lens through which you view life. Now let's use that lens to look at your ignorance and the spiritual gifts. Your Bibles turn to first Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse one. You can look on the screen if you do not have a Bible. Feel free to use your Bible app. It does highlight on your Bible apps. So feel free to use that. First one, chapter 12, first Corinthians. Now, leaving the previous argument, let's go to the next one. Now. Now. About the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I prefer the word ignorant because ignorant is the, another word. It just sounds it just sounds better than uninformed. No, you're just ignorant. Right. I just love that word. Right. You to be don't, don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans. Somehow or other, you were influenced, led astray to mute idols. He's basically making fun of them, saying, I don't know how you were actually led by things you can't speak, but somehow you were. Right. So you said you were led by and astray by mute idols. Verse three. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So as we begin. Let me give you a backdrop of Paul's message within the Corinthian church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, listen, are breeding a level of competition. There's competition. It's harnishing the expression and the beauty of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the community. We look much more at the gifts coming up. But just recognize that when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus comes into you and he brings presence. Like, I don't know about you, but my favorite people in the world are ones who bring me presents, right? Like, you come to my house, bring me a gift, I'll love you forever, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes, He says, I have gifts, I have presents for you to unwrap that specifically are geared towards me moving through you, right? I want to empower you, I'm bringing gifts to empower you for ministry, Right. So my buddy, Drake, right here, my neighbor, Drake, raise your hand. Thank you, Drake. Drake is great at a lot of things, and one of the things he's gotten into—he's my direct next door neighbor, right? So one he's gotten into the last several years, especially, is riding motorcycles, and he goes and rides with his dad. So I literally watch him ride out of his backyard down into all the trails back there and stuff, right? And then he goes and goes to races. So imagine if like Drake is a good—he's a good motorcycle rider, but what if all of a sudden, like I don't know who the best motocross racer is, but what if all of a sudden the best motocross racer ever somehow could take all of his skills all of his gifts, all of his mentality, all of his vision, and all of a sudden just say, hey, Drake, I want to give it to you so you can become, you can take all of my skills and your skills to become a better motorcycle rider than I am. Drake would go, I'll sign up for that today, tomorrow, and every day, rest of my life, right? Because how cool could it be to literally give your life riding motorcycles, right? And so he would take that in a heartbeat. And so the Holy Spirit's coming and saying, hey, Jesus comes and say, I want to give you like all the things that flowed through me that made me me that you want to be like that's me. I want to give you. I want to bring presents. You're like, oh, my gosh, right? So the gift of, like even the gift of prophecy, he walk up to somebody, the, the word of knowledge, He walk up to somebody and the lady's like, hey, can I, why are you here? Why are you talking to me? And he goes, ah, you have lots of husbands and the one you're living with is not yours. Well, surely you're a prophet, right? Like it's a pretty cool gift. So there's all these gifts that you have, words of knowledge, gift of teaching, gifts of evangelism, all these things that empower you to be like Jesus. And we go, yes and amen. So that's what Paul's talking about. Just now about the gifts of the spirit, all these things, So in this, they're getting all these gifts, and now, because they're humans, they're competing about who is the better and who has the best. They're competing in this moment. And in this moment, they take this gift that's given, and they receive it like it's an official stamp of the Holy Spirit, To define their spiritual value, believing that certain gifts were of greater value, having those gifts meant others would esteem them more highly and show them greater value and basically give them greater respect. The idea is simple. The Corinthians, by highlighting certain gifts, have created spiritual elitism revolving around the gifts. And the primary gift of the elite was the gift of tongues. What they would call glossolalia. Such a great term. Speaking in other languages, right? Speaking in the tongues of angels. And so those who had this particular gift, this spectacular gift, right? Made them more special. And so in this, Paul's teaching in these chapters is to highlight the undeniable importance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit But but to put them in proper view for the Corinthians, Paul wants to answer two primary questions. Number one, what does it even mean to be spiritual? The first question he's going to deal with is, what does it actually mean to be spiritual? The second question he wants to ask and answer, how are Christians to exercise their spiritual gifts in the church? How are they to do it? What is it supposed to look like? How is it supposed to be? What's supposed to happen with these? And the important thing for you to recognize, right? So don't lose me. Don't go, oh, I know all this. You don't. We don't, right? In this moment, he's saying, what does it even mean to be spiritual? What is it? Listen, let me use the language. Who are the deeper Christians? Who are the deep Christians? That's when we go deep with Jesus. Who are the deep Christians and who are the undeep ones? Who are the spiritual and the unspiritual, right? Number two, he says, how are you supposed to, I don't want you to be, how are you supposed to use the gifts? What does he use them as how and when and what does it look like right and the two primary groups he's most concerned about in the conversation it's real simple those who are fellow Christians and those who are not yet Christians but he recognizes there are lots of Terry Hambricks in the world who are literally this close to stepping out of church because of you. And your spiritual elitism and you saying, oh, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, you're part of that denomination. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. See ya, right? Whatever. Didn't know I was better than you, right? And so this whole dynamic going down. And the second thing is the not yet Christians who are sitting there going, these people are crazy. Who wants to be part of them? They are weird and competitive and like, who are? This is ridiculous, right? Don't want to connect with those guys. So Paul recognizes the use and abuse of the gifts. He recognizes their ignorance regarding the gifts and that is detrimental to both of these groups. So let's look into these three verses of uh, the first three verses and see what's saying. Right. So we looked at it. We already read it. Now the gifts of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. So verse one, now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Right. So when it says now concerning spiritual gifts, what I want you to recognize is this is what this means is. They have been in their previous letter. Do you all know that? First Corinthians is a response to a previous letter that's already been written to Paul. And so they're writing to him about situations and about things. And so one of the things they talk about in their letter to Paul are spiritual gifts. And we don't know because the letter's not out there, but we don't know. Are they just are they bragging about spiritual gifts or are they asking questions about spiritual gifts? Is it a mixture of both? We don't really know. But Paul's coming in and specifically relating this message to something that they're writing. About Okay. And the second thing he comes in and says this, therefore, it says, do not be ignorant. Do not be uninformed. And it's really important for you to understand this. They weren't ignorant of gifts in a sense of like, Oh, I didn't know those gifts existed. Like they're moving in all of the gifts. Like in some level of extremism with competition, like it's like they're all just flowing. They're all speaking in tongues. They're all trying to prophesy, right? It's like, whoa, it's just crazy times. So, so I don't want you to be ignorant, not in the sense of like they don't, they don't exist, but I, you're ignorant and uninformed of actually what their purpose is and how to use them. So you're asking me all sorts of questions and talking about them in your letter. I'm letting you know you don't even know how to use them, what their, the purpose of them is. Like, there's a good chance person was writing saying, well, you know, I speak in tongues 15 hours a day. I'm pretty awesome, Paul. How many hours do you speak, Paul? Right? And Paul's going to say, you're uninformed. You're completely ignorant. You don't even know that what you're doing with the gifts is negatively hurting and impact, negatively impacting those who are in the body and those who are without. You are clueless. So don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed. So in the context of our conversation, we have to ask ourselves, what level of ignorance do we have? What level of being uninformed defines our view of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So if you come and say, Steve, I honestly, I honestly am ignorant, and uninformed. Like, what are they? And like, what, what are their purposes in the church? And do they really still exist? Man, I would. Yes, I'd love to talk. That's awesome. We're going to spend the next several weeks talking about these gifts. And and I'm so excited for you because you get to learn. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, I did not know that Jesus brought me these gifts. I can't wait to unwrap them. Hey, Jesus, help me. Let's use these. Show me what's going on. God, I want to use them. It's awesome. And then there are those who are ignorant because we've, been, we've grown up around them so much, or we've seen them, or we've been taught and experienced it and There's this possibly spiritual elitism that defines us, or this level of woundedness that defines them to the point that we pull away from them. I've, I've always said that the reason I believe that these specific gifts, like the gifts of tongues, aren't talked about in church is because they were so abused in the early church, people just pulled back from them. Because there's no real reason they should go away. Right. This is a prime example of why, like, yes, crazy people get the tongues, elitism. I'm not going to pull away from that. And so we have this dynamic going down. So we come into verse two it says, all right, let's begin. Let's just begin by defining who is spiritual and who is not. Because in defining who is spiritual, he says, so let's put you all on the same level. That's his goal. And put you all, is either either this level or this level that you can be on. So he comes in in verse 2, and he reminds the Gentiles of their past before they experience the Spirit's power for salvation. He says, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Alright, So all he's saying is Paul highlights. Hey, do you remember when you worshiped other gods? Do you remember when you were quote unquote pagans, not worshiping God, when you did not believe in Yahweh, God and Jesus, the redeemer, right? You did not believe in Jesus. You were an un, you're a non-Christian. Do you remember that season? They, they all go, well, yes. <laughs> right. I remember that season. Fantastic. Verse three. Goes down, says, so Second here, my, this is important. Now, I will say there's lots of, there's kind of like lots of different, uh, there's like seven or eight or ten different views of what verse three actually means. So I'm going to pull one out that I feel like fit the best. And there are lots of others, and they're kind of all, but they're all kind of tied into the same meaning. In this, he basically was reminding, I believe, the Jews of their past. He says, I want you to know that no one who was, uh, yeah, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. I want you to recognize in the early church that you had Gentiles and Jews together as in one, right? And so he's looking and saying, you're not the hook either, guys. Like you, were, like you said that you were spiritual because you were there, you know, children of Abraham. But you were saying, be cursed to Jesus. You didn't believe it and you hated him. And so you're no different than the Gentiles. You were separated from God because of your lack of belief in Jesus. And so what I want you to recognize both the Jew and Gentile were in the same boat. You did not believe in Jesus. You were both separated from Jesus. The Holy Spirit did not dwell in either of you. And you were in the same boat. Jew and Gentile. In the same boat, just come from different families. Different families, same destination. Well, where we are, both of us come to the same place. Hey, right? Not believing in Jesus. So Paul's coming and naming. there. So the first person is those who do not believe in Jesus. And then he comes in in verse 3 and says, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And here's where we come. Here's the interesting piece about spirituality. Basically what Paul is saying is this. There are though there are two types of people. Those who are pagans and say they don't believe in Jesus. And then there are the spiritual Who say, Jesus is Lord. And and here's the point. You got to recognize, put it in culture. You can go, well, Jesus is Lord, right? And you're like, that's so easy. But this was a definitive phrase in the culture. For them to say Jesus is Lord is to renounce every other spiritual being that they had worshipped. Right? Is to literally go up to be anti to be, to be um, like anti culture in the area of their religion that defined everything in culture. And saying Jesus is Lord is saying I'm hopping on this boat and I know it's going to cost me my life. No one just said it to say it. They said it to mean this. Is now the defining characteristic of my life like you have to put the weight and the gravity to it They would say jesus is lord knowing it would probably cost them their life do you see the different weight between like how we say oh, jesus lord right versus jesus is lord i'm willing to suffer and die for you there's a great weight to it. It's basically this great conviction of life change, right? And so Jesus saying there are two types of people. There's two ways to look at spirituality. Pagan, separated from Jesus, therefore unspiritual, or saved as one who's proclaimed Jesus as Lord, therefore spiritual. And so what Paul is saying in the moment, he goes, for all of you who are moving in these ecstatic gifts over here and think you're better than, there's only two places, spiritual and unspiritual, and those who are spiritual are equal in the eyes of God. So get off your high horse. Get down from your elitism and recognize you are spiritual, and then there is no competition in Christ of the haves and the have-nots. There's not the charismatics and the non-charismatics, there's not the, the baptists and the non-baptists, the methodists and the non-methodists. There's just the spiritual. There's no spiritual elitism. There is no elite. According to Paul, this affirmation heads off any claim that some are more spiritual than others because they show evidence of having the more electrifying and quote unquote exciting gifts. Basically, Paul, making a super simple assertion, you are either a pagan and unspiritual or you are spiritual because you proclaim Jesus as Lord. And what that does is all of a sudden, we begin to look, this is important, we begin to look around the room and we say, either April is a pagan or spiritual. And she's spiritual and she's not better than, and I'm not better than her. It's why we understand the language so much more clearly. Jesus says, the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. I don't care if you've been a Christian all your life, or you've been a Christian for two seconds, you are equal in spirituality in the eyes of God. Doesn't that immediately knock down all of our walls of competition within the body of Christ, where Paul says, You are either you must be unified or you are useless. Have you ever said something like, Oh, those Baptists Oh, those Presbyterians. Where have you been with, oh, those weird charismatics. Charismania. Oh, they're a tongue speaker. Weirdo. I mean, where have you stood on that? You've all, we've all made definitive statements along those lines somewhere. People have left vintage because they think that we're weird. Right? And in that, you say something. if you say something's weird, it means you think you're better than. And Paul's naming that here. Stop it. Like I've told you the story of a real spiritual giant in our lives who was going on the road one day talking about David Crowder. And he literally was talking, like he was in the passenger seat and my buddy was driving. And he's driving and he goes, yeah, what do you think about David Crowder? And he goes, yeah, he's a good worship leader, good songwriter, but he's not spirit-filled. Right? Because he was from a Baptist background, didn't necessarily believe in the, of the Holy Spirit. And, and my buddy's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like, he's not filled with the Spirit. That makes no sense. And so the point of Paul getting is it, like, he says, we wound people. We, we are wounded people. We have spiritual elitism. Who do you think is a better Christian than you? Who do you think is not as good of a Christian as you? Spiritual elitism. If we ever think we're better or less than, then we have believed a lie that Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I believe, like I was sitting here going, God, what are you trying to do in the moment? I felt like in this moment, God's saying, I want to heal people who've been wounded I want to set straight wrong theology about whether gifts or not gifts. I want to set people in this place of restoration and I want to set people with their eyes now focused on Jesus in humility, recognizing that everyone, either they are pagan or spiritual and they can go, oh, I'm not going to define now where you are. I'll define go. So where are you on like the Christian spectrum? Are you like one of the super spiritual or the less spiritual? Are you in the deep end of the pool or the shallow end? Oh, shallow end floaties. I don't need them. Right. You know what I'm talking about. And so we literally live in this moment of looking at people with spiritual floaties on or not. How stupid is that? And so in the moment, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. You're either pagan or spiritual. And that then frees us to think of one another as true brothers and sisters, to come along and love and serve no matter where they are, and to take those who are in the church, who are outside of church, right, who are not yet Christians, and go, oh, you. we just need to lead you to Jesus, So that God can fill you with the spirit and bring great gifts. So you can be the best motocross racer in the world like Drake. I mean, literally. It's what he wants to do. But we classify, don't we? Or we live classifying ourselves. And most of us are really good at rejecting ourselves and thinking that we're less than. And I felt like that was the real heart and passion of Jesus this morning is to set some people free. From the language and the voice of the enemy, the voice of the enemy through somebody else that said that you're less than. Paul comes and says, I don't care if you're a tongue speaker or not, you're spiritual in the eyes of God, and that's all that matters. So it doesn't mean he wants to to grow in this. No, he wants us to to be ignorant of the gifts and the fullness of how they can be used in our lives. But he doesn't think that we're less than because of our ignorance. Does that make sense? And so what it is, it should free us this morning. To go, so Jesus just wants me to be where I am, to move forward from where I am so I can grow in him. Absolutely. So I don't have to like measure up to somebody else or compare myself to, to Randall because Randall's so holy. Nope. I release you from comparing yourself to Randall. The most holy person in vintage. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at though, right? I'm releasing you from putting people on pedestals or being on a pedestal. It's releasing you. Paul, Paul's releasing people from pedestals. He's releasing us from having to like this to so people. Oh, there you are. So up there high and holy. He's like, you know, hey, how are you? Equal in the eyes of God. So spiritual. He wants us to move. Wants to move. David Garland, he was this guy, who wrote one of the commentaries I read. And, and it was so interesting. He didn't do this in really, in really any other chapter. But at the end of this chapter... He's like I felt he felt like he just felt compelled to say, I just need to say this. I thought it was so great. He, I'm just gonna quote it. It's up on the screen. He says, All will have experienced church conflict that is rooted in the hunger for status and recognition. Does that make sense, right? All of us will have experienced this church conflict that's related in this hunger for for status and for recognition. Many will have been in com- communities where the more cerebral gifts, I think gifted of teaching, gifts of wisdom, right? The cerebral gifts have become the gifts of choice and are exalted over others. Many will have witnessed a lack of kindness, a lack of kindness and inflated self-importance, ill-mannered. Isn't that so polite, ill-mannered? Ill-mannered is bad manners, ill-mannered demissal of fellow Christians who are judged as less gifted or wrongly gifted, Paul gives specific instructions To solve a specific problem in Corinth Of ignorance and spiritual elitism But calls for Christian charity Like loving one another Preferably one of, loving, Preferring one another But calls for Christian charity As the way to prevent the conflict From arising in the first place The lens of love And faithfulness In the context Of The gifts of the Holy Spirit that God is faithful. God is kind. God is loving and he's calling us to love one another, but do not be ignorant and uninformed about the fullness of the gifts. Let me just say unashamedly, all of the gifts are still moving. The cerebral gifts, the ecstatic gifts, the gift of tongues, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy and the gift of wisdom, the gift of administration and the discerning of demonic spirits. so We can pray specifically when praying for someone. Let me tell you something. If we miss one of those, then we are not as fully equipped as Jesus was and we are completely incapable of ministering fully in the name of Jesus. And he says, no, I bring all of my gifts to all of the body, and I will give some, one to some, one to others, one to some, one to others, one to some, and they will use it as they have need, and the body will be complete and whole. Do not be ignorant of that. And, there's n- and the person with the gift of administration is no less than the person who speaks in tongues 10 hours a day. Or the the prophet who just sees these mysteries of God deeply and they speak and it's like, wow, is no different than the person with the gift of wisdom who sits in a meeting and says, that's a really bad idea. Here's why. I'll be honest with you. I've said this to Randall until I'm in blue in the face. The first three years of vintage, give me ten, give me ten gifted administrators and no prophets, and I'm doing great for at least the first three years of church planting, right? Because we – because I'm not administrative at all. We need them. Praise Jesus when they're here, right? Because prophets, they want to talk and not do. You know what I'm getting at? And so, by God, we need some doers. And so my point is we – but you know what I'm getting at? I mean, honestly – and so in this, what I want you to do this morning is I, we want to I invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to sit right here for a little bit. and So Tay, you have this kind of worship around me, but I just want to sit on the stool for a little bit. I'll <clears throat> be whatever at least. And I want to kind of, I want to lead us. I don't even know what it's going to look like. I was just unplanned. So y'all just give me grace in this. But I want to kind of lead us just through allowing God to wash us this morning. Wash us maybe of, of, of hurtful things that have been said. I want to just allow God to wash you of really bad theology. Like, my dad had bad theology. Like, he said, all the gifts died. And, he, and he's like, I hate singing in church, I think it's stupid. Right? And then God does this work, and, and then now he's like, all he talks about is ah, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I love worship, you know? He's like, he realized he was wrong. Isn't there, there's nothing more freeing than going, God, or still something, I'm sorry, I was so wrong and you were right. I want to move into rightness. Please don't hold on to bad theology because you heard it when you were a kid and it's all that you know. There's nothing worse than holding on to bad theology because when you get to heaven, immediately you're going to know, oh, that was bad theology. I so missed out on the fullness of what God had. So this morning, I just invite you just before the Lord. I invite our ministry teams. Why don't you go ahead and come forward, just just get uh, just get situated. I just want to kind of I just want to lead us in prayer this morning. I want to pray. I want to take some time and pray. And I would. So here's what we're going to do. If I name something that applies to you, you don't have to stand or raise your head or anything or raise your hand or anything. I just I want you to go. I want you to say. If I say something that applies to God, that's me, Jesus, you know it, (laughs) right? And I want you to sit there in a place that's a posture of receiving. You have to put your head up before the Lord, whether figuratively or physically, when you go to pray because he's loving and he's faithful at all times. And you're either spiritual or a pagan. And so if you are spiritual and saved, then you stand before him and he loves you. So look up to him. So if I name what situation I want you to say, that's me, Jesus, you know it, here I am. And then if that's not you, I want you to pray for the people I just named, right? So if, that's, if you go, actually, I'm in a good place with that, then as soon as I, then you just begin to pray for them as I pray for them, okay? So the first people I want to pray for this morning, those who have been wounded by spiritual elitism in the church, If you feel like it has stunted your growth, if it's something you've held on to this morning, and then as I'm naming it, it's like, oh my gosh, yes, that is such a characteristic of my faith walk. Then we're gonna pray for you this morning and just say, Jesus, I give you this wound this morning. I just want to just take this. And so let's just pray for them this morning. God, I, I pray for each person, God, who's experience of spiritual elitism, had been wounded by it in the church, just literally caused them to kind of pull back, maybe from community, pull back from relationship, maybe even pull back from the from the presence that you bring into their life to be empowered for ministry. I just pray for them this morning, God, that, that you would break the lie off of them in Jesus' name and bring them freedom. We speak freedom in restoration. We speak release now in Jesus' name. I pray God you take this chain, you would break it right now in Jesus' name. That you would come supernaturally in the power of your spirit that you come. And that you would bring the cross, God. That you would come and say, the cross and the blood of Jesus has washed you. I set you free from spiritual elitism. I see you as holy. I see you as blameless. I see you as my child. And I love you and I am faithful. We just pray breakthrough now in Jesus' name. If this morning you would say, "Yes, I do feel like I'm in a place, maybe of, of questionable theology. I grew up in a specific tradition that spoke certain things about whether the like pro gifts, anti gifts, this kind of ambivalent towards gifts, whatever it may be," and and I just want to be honest before the Lord this morning. That I, I I want to I want to give Him my theology, like these really hard stances I've taken on things. And I just want God to, I just want to release that to God say, God, my my hands are open before you in my theology. But I want to know exactly what you think. Because I think I may have been in error. Then, Father, I pray this morning for these people. I thank you, Jesus. There is nothing you adore more than your children coming and saying, Jesus, I don't really know. I know that you fully know. So I want to hear what you have to say rather than to keep on listening to myself. And so I pray, Jesus, this morning, you would open up ears to hear the words that you speak. That, Father God, there'd be a release this morning. God, they'd be willing to even take this tradition that they have held on to so hard. Say, God, my foundation is not my tradition. My foundation is Jesus. So I'm good to ask questions in the context of Jesus. I know He is faithful and I can trust him. I will not be afraid. Father, I pray this. Is the next group I want to pray for is those who you recognize they have been the spiritual elites. You recognize you kind of look down upon people. You've classified people. You've presented yourself as more high. But here's the thing: you also have to ask forgiveness and repent, turn away from from thinking that you're less than like those are equal in the eyes of God. They're both sin, thinking I'm elite or thinking that I am less than they're both sin. They're they're both the work of the enemy. They're both believing a lie of the enemy. So this morning is to come before the Lord and be honest about either one of those. And now, Father, we pray this morning, God, just again for your clarifying voice to come in and speak. God, I pray for those who thought that they are less than. We release them, God, to sing the song that Misty Edwards wrote. Jesus, here I am, your favorite one. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I have to know. I I pray, Jesus, for this awakening, God, we can come confidently before you, God, recognizing that you're loving, recognizing that you are faithful. I pray for those, those who recognize, God, they are, they do think less than. they, God, they are kind of a spiritual elitist from either camp. I, I just pray, Jesus, Lord, I, so often, God, that we get to places of arrogance and pride without even knowing it. And I just pray, God, that you would convict them this morning lovingly in your faithfulness and in your kindness and your compassion. As Paul did to the Corinthians, say, hey, idolatry. Idolatry of self better than somebody else. You notice it. But God is faithful. He'll provide a way out from your pride. Thank you, Jesus, because you're faithful. Just release that this morning and walk into a a place this morning of recognizing your spirituality before Jesus. The only thing that needs to define you is your love, your love from Jesus and your love to him. This morning, if you just say, I've honestly kind of just been numb to anything of God's spirit, I've been kind of numb, kind of ambivalent, just disconnected from anything about being empowered for his purposes, to be like Jesus, and that's you this morning, you're listening to this going, it actually doesn't really affect me at all, because I just don't really, if I'm honest, I haven't really cared about it, God, I pray for these people this morning, I just want to pray a simple prayer that God, you would awaken their eyes from ignorance to knowledge. Because God, what you want them to see is you walking into their life with unopened gifts and presents that are still sitting there on their kitchen table, ready to be opened as they are off in some other room just watching TV. I pray, Father, you would awaken them from their apathy. You would awaken them from their numbness. And I pray right now that there'd be a fire that would be birthed in them. To go, oh my gosh, not a, oh, I'm so terrible. I didn't, I never opened my gifts because there's that moment when it's like, do you have gifts for me? I pray Jesus, you awaken them to that. You have gifts for me. Let's do this, and your heart gets elated and excited, God, because you can't—you've been waiting, this waiting to move through them. You can't wait to move through them. And so, Jesus, would you awaken them to that this morning? You are good. You are kind. You are faithful. You are loving. You are filled with joy. And you sing over us every day, nonstop, with joy. Jesus, we want the lens of your spirit to see the love and the faithfulness of God that corrects us when we're in sin because we don't, you don't want us to be separated. You don't want us to grow numb. You don't want us to grow apathetic. You want us to be on fire for Jesus, running with Jesus, keeping in step with Jesus, functioning in the gifts of the spirit with Jesus, moving in love for God and love for our neighbor. Give us this morning, Jesus, the lens of your love and faithfulness that causes us, God, to feel and to emotionally be full and complete in the same time when we're loved and it motivates us to powerfully love those who have been unloved and not yet Christian, those who are far off, those who have been abused. they love you, Jesus. This morning, we're going to go into a time of ministry. Ministry teams are already available. They've been praying already for you, probably praying for themselves at the same time. And I just want to invite you to respond. If you're new to Vintage, there's a couple over there, three ways that we offer response. We offer, well, actually four. One is to sit where you are and just pray and process the things that God have you pray and process. You can come to the altar if you want to because sometimes it's just helpful to come forward and kneel second way of response is we have our baskets for tithes and offerings. The tithe and offering is for the purpose of saying, Jesus, money will never control me. I'm only led by the Holy Spirit. And so if you've come this morning to give, right here or this metal box between the two sets of doors, there's a slit on top and you just give as the Lord leads. And obedience to him is an act of worship to say, Jesus, you first, everything else second. We have communion available for anyone who'd like to take communion this morning. It's celebrating who Jesus is and what he has done this morning and the ministry teams on both sides. Ministry teams are simply this. They are people just like you who understand what you're going through, who God has placed here at Vintage to come alongside of you and to help you walk into the things that God has for you. Whether it's praying for healing, for anything you need healing in, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's healing physically, because it is there's a gift of healing. It's a present he wants to give every day. Right. Gift that there's this healing he can do. There's this work of restoration. Or if you just want something, if you're praying because there's not wisdom. They want to pray for wisdom for you. If you just want encouragement to come alongside and have someone pray for you, he'll encourage you. If you respond as the Lord leads this morning, Tate's going to play a song of worship. When he gets done with that song, he's going to pray over us. That moment, you're officially released to go. And, uh, and have a great rest of your day. So with that, you respond as the Lord leads.